I know that you have made excuses not to go to a party or not to go to dinner with somebody, maybe friends or family. I know you've probably even made excuses not to go to family gatherings, to holiday meals, to special occasions, to uh, family reunions, right? You have made excuses. I know you have. You've just sat down after a really long day at work, uh, or you forgot that it was already Friday. The week had gotten away from you and there was this party tonight, or maybe you just never wanted to go in the first place. You said you would go or you might go, and now you feel awkward because you really don't want to go, but you don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. So the, uh, the excuse factory kicks in, right? Start coming up with ideas to make excuses. Oh, my dog's really sick. I got to keep an eye on him. Make sure he's okay, right? Uh, I've got to feed my cat and my four roommates are not qualified to do the job. Only I can feed my cat. Or uh, <laughs> I'm way behind on my schoolwork, which uh, is me every day. Uh, so I could say that and it would be true whether or not it's a good reason to miss dinner or party. But I'm always behind on my schoolwork, right? But then you don't do your schoolwork. You don't actually watch your dog, like stare at your dog to see if he's okay. You, you may not even remember to feed your cat. What you probably do is uh, binge watch uh, mayor of Kingstown, uh, because now you have a morbid curiosity about Jeremy Renner after his accident, right? Or you might uh, stream the Johnny Depp and Amber Heard trial on your laptop while you take a bubble bath, which I definitely did not do. Uh, <laughs> or uh, even worse, maybe you get an offer for a better party. Ooh. You decide, ooh, I want to go to that party. Hope you don't see anybody you know from that other party. That would be awkward. Now, I know we do this mostly because we don't want to hurt our host's feelings. We don't want to hurt other people's feelings, so we make excuses. Uh, but it's funny because this way of being and this way of thinking is as old as humanity itself. And today we hear a story from Jesus from 2,000 years ago that's just like making excuses not to go to a party. It's amazing how this is something that's common to us from the beginning of time. But you see, Jesus is at a meal. And this is pretty typical of Jesus, right? He likes to go and eat with people. He'll eat with anybody. He'll eat with religious people and non-religious people. He'll eat with people with a, a good reputation or a not so good reputation. People who are rich, people who are poor. He'll eat with anyone. In fact, that's one of the reasons he was so controversial. But in this story, he happens to be a very religious person's home. And he notices as he goes to sit down at the table that <clears throat> everyone is sort of vying for the best spots at the table. Now, for me, the best spot at the table is closest to the mashed potatoes and gravy. That's all I care about. I don't really care about anything else except that. But for them, the, the best spot at the table was the spot that was closest to the leaders or the influencers in the community. They wanted that prime real estate close to the people that made decisions and were the hot commodity in town. Jesus notices this and he admonishes them for seeking those places of honor. He, he says that if they approach the table with humility, uh, they would receive a real reward. Now, Jesus, as usual, is always speaking with a, a double meaning. 
Now, Jesus is, according to the great uh, scholar Amy Jill Levine, uh, the first person in history referred to as a rabbi in literature. Now, that doesn't mean that he was the first rabbi, but what it means is that he was very early in the rabbinic tradition as a, a Jewish teacher. This is something that started sprouting up uh, not long before Jesus came around in this world, and then it grew into something even bigger after he died and rose and ascended to heaven. And rabbis were of different kinds of groups. There might be very well-educated, wealthy rabbis, less educated uh, rabbis from smaller towns like Jesus himself. But there was something about Jesus that he, as the Bible says often, spoke with authority. He had some kind of way of teaching and speaking that made people want to listen to him. And so they were open to his admonishments. I mean, they're at a party to have a good time, and he's kind of being a downer. Like, look, y'all are looking for the nicest seats, but really, those who exalt themselves will be humbled. Those who humble themselves will be exalted, right? So you have this way of speaking, but he's speaking with a double meaning, right? He doesn't mean necessarily literally that, you know, if you sit at the nice spot at a table during dinner, that you're in trouble. But he's saying that reveals something deeper about your character. And if we have a, a desire to serve rather than lift ourselves up, then we'll have the best seats at the eternal banquet, the big banquet, the heavenly banquet. And those who argue over the seating arrangements and try to get into the best spots will end up in the nosebleed seats at the eternal banquet, right? They won't get the best seats. It's about character for Jesus. Now, to illustrate this point, he tells a story. You see this a lot in the Gospels. Jesus is a great storyteller. You'll see them in the New Testament referred to as parables. What that means is it's not necessarily a true historical story. It's kind of a fable, a metaphor, an illustration. It's just a way to get across a point. And so he tells one of these parables about a very rich man who's hosting a big banquet and he invites all of his rich and influential friends. And then get this, every one of them starts making excuses. Now, the guests were invited in advance of this dinner. This was all planned and ostensibly they'd RSVP'd and said, yeah, we'll be there. Of course we'll be there. In fact, in ancient times, it would have been rude if someone invited you to say no, unless you had a really darn good excuse. So likely all of these folks were expected to be there, but at the last minute, suddenly they all have reasons they can't come. The first person says, oh, I just bought this land. I got to go see it. Like that was a last minute. Thing. Oh, I just at the last minute decided to buy all this land. Or the second person said, I just bought 10 oxen and I've got to go check them out. Got to go take a look at them. And like you bought them before you saw them. Like these excuses don't add up, right? But my favorite one is the last one. It says, uh, I'm sorry, I just got married, so I can't come. <laughs> And I think, uh, okay, he's preoccupied at the moment. And uh, I'll leave that one for you to think about. But the rich man, you see, he's, he's frustrated. He's embarrassed. He's angry. He's been rejected by his friends. And he says, forget it. You know what? I'm just going to invite all the randos from the town, all the outcasts, the poor, those with disabilities, those that other people think are cursed. I'm going to invite them right into the party. And so it's important to notice three things about this story. The first is that all Jesus stories point to something called the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. Now, I know that this phrase is loaded in our current times. 
I know some 20 somethings that I've used the phrase kingdom of God with and they get a, a weird taste in their mouths. It doesn't sound good to them to hear kingdom of God because they hear it layered with all the, the history of the church. And let's be honest, guys, the church has not always been a good actor in history. In fact, oftentimes the church has done more damage than good. And so when they hear kingdom of God, what they hear are things like the televangelists or politicians who are trying to create some kind of theocracy in the United States and kind of force their values on other people. And that makes them uncomfortable. It even triggers many of them. Young people, people of great diversity, they they are triggered by the phrase kingdom of God. So we have to think about that, like how we talk about kingdom of God. But let me just explain what kingdom of God is in reality, the way Jesus spoke about it. Most often he spoke about the kingdom of God by telling these parables. Every one of these parables has something in common, which is that it turns the value system of the world upside down, right? So the value system of this rich man was, I'm going to invite all my rich, influential people to this party, and then they turn them down, and suddenly the kingdom of God says, let's turn it upside down. Invite those who are never invited to anything, right? And every one of Jesus' parables is like this. It talks about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is the value system of God. And usually it's about turning things upside down from the way they are right now. So in our current culture, we have great disparity between wealth and poverty. And Jesus would say, we need to flip that script. We need to honor those who are poor, honor those who struggle to make ends meet, who don't always have three square meals a day, who don't have shelter, uh, who struggle with mental health and struggle to keep a job, right? All those things, we need to flip the script. And so that's what Jesus is talking about with this kingdom of God. So all Jesus' stories point to the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. Those are used interchangeably. The second thing to notice about this story is that it's the upright, the respected, the upper class, the middle class, the educated, the religious folk that are being repudiated here for their excuses. That's most of us listening here today. Most of us fall into that category. If you're listening to a sermon online, you're likely a religious person, more likely than not. So you fall into this category. You're more likely than not in this area, middle class, upper class, maybe lower middle class. You're probably educated. You probably have a high school degree, maybe a college degree. So most of us listening today fall into this category of people that Jesus is really rebuking for the way they behave. The last thing to notice about this story is that it's an invitation to us and a warning to us. We've been invited to Jesus' party. He says, come on in. The water's fine. The bread is good. Come to my party, this eternal banquet. But be careful. Because if we come loaded with excuses that we can't make it, we'll be turned away and Jesus will invite someone else to the party. The beauty about Jesus is he's always inviting more people to this party. But he gives you the choice whether to come or not. And if we make excuses, we won't get to participate in this heavenly banquet, in this eternal banquet. But the overall point is we all make excuses for not following Jesus, don't we? My sin is okay, but that guy over there, oof, they, they really need help. They need to change their ways. 
And we use the excuses all the time for why we're not all in, on fire for Jesus, right? It might cost me money. It might cost me more money than I want it to. It might cost me time that I'd rather spend on other things. It might cost me friendships with people that that I love. It, God might ask me to do hard things, uh, to meet people I'm not comfortable with, to forgive people who have hurt me, uh, to love people who seem unlovable to me, uh, to see people who are hard to look at because of who they are or how they live. We all make excuses, right? It might be hard, so let's not do it at all. That's kind of the, the perspective that we have as we make excuses. But what Jesus invites us to in this story is to taste and see that the Lord is good. And the way we do that is we come to the table humbly and we don't look for that best seat at the table, but we are just happy to be at the table, period, to have been invited. And instead of identifying ourselves as the wealthy or the influential or the special, we should identify ourselves with those who are invited the second time to the party, those who are poor, those who have disabilities, those who struggle in life. Because the fact is that's everybody. Even those who don't admit it still have those markers in their lives. They have brokenness. Uh, they have aspects of their character or personality that are discriminated against. And so we all have something like that. And we're invited to identify with those individuals and to come to the banquet and to celebrate and feast with God, to taste and see that the Lord is good. You know, at Kaylee Community, we aspire to be that. It's really just that simple, to be a place where we can come and taste and see that the Lord is good, that we can experience it right here. The founder of Methodism, and we're a part of the Methodist tradition at Kaylee Community, the, the founder of Methodism, John Wesley, spoke a lot about the importance of experiencing God. And I think that's because for Wesley, he spent the first few decades of his life believing in his head about Jesus, but he never really met Jesus. He never really experienced the love of Jesus. He didn't feel it in his gut, right? And then there was a moment in his 30s when he heard someone reading from the preface to the epistle to the Romans by Martin Luther, which probably would be a very boring read in the 21st century. But for John Wesley, it was fascinating. He was in his 30s. He'd been a preacher for a while. He'd been on the mission field to Georgia and back to the United Kingdom. But he sat and he heard this and something in that preface to the epistle to the Romans spoke to him. And he says, I felt my heart strangely warmed. That was on Aldersgate Street. And so in May, we celebrate Aldersgate Day because that's when it happened. His heart was strangely warmed, but what Wesley was referring to is a, a tangible experience of God, not simply an intellectual belief in God. And I believe it's essential for us as believers and followers of Jesus Christ to create spaces where people can not only hear about God and learn about God, but where people can actually experience the love of God. And so we create that banquet ourselves. We create that table and we invite anyone from any circumstance to come and taste and see that the Lord is good. Amen and amen.